0: Today is the last in a five-part series of messages on the book of Daniel. Uh, We've entitled this series, Exiles, because Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were exiled from their homeland, moved 900 miles from their uh, upbringing, and transplanted into Babylon and Babylonian culture. Uh, They were exiles. They were kind of caught between two kingdoms. They weren't a part of their original kingdom, their homeland, for Jerusalem had been burned to the ground by the Babylonians. And the best and brightest among them were transplanted to Babylon. Uh, they weren't also, a, neither were they a part of the Babylonian kingdom. They were between the two. I bring that to your attention, and the reason why this 2,500-year-old story is so relevant is because we, in the New Testament church today, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called exiles by the epistles, by the apostles, the authors of the epistles. We're referred to as strangers, we're referred to as aliens, we're referred to as foreigners in a, in a foreign land, because we are neither a part of the ultimate eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ, because we're not there yet, uh, and nor should we get too wrapped up in this kingdom, the kingdom of the world. In fact... Many times over in the New Testament, we are admonished by men like Paul or John or James not to get too wrapped up in the kingdom of the world. We're to live in it, but we're not to be of it. And the Bible makes that perfectly clear. So, like Daniel, we are exiles. We're caught between two kingdoms. Now, our final message in this series is a message on deliverance. Now, when I hear the word deliverance... I immediately hear banjo music. Down, <laughs> down, 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 down. I picture Burt Reynolds, Ned Beatty. Okay, you've seen this movie. I picture those hill folk, those hillbillies that live in North Georgia in the mountains. Now, if you're from North Georgia and you have relatives in the mountains, I'm not talking about your relatives. <laughs> but all humor aside. The story of Daniel is a story of deliverance. And I don't know if you know this or not, but one of the mega themes of the Old Testament is deliverance. One of the overarching, grand, reoccurring themes of the epic story of the entire 39 book Old Testament is deliverance. Turn one page from another to another, to this book, to that book. Go back to this chapter. Read this article. And what you're reading are stories of God's always keeping His promises to deliver His people. I want you to know today that you may never be thrown into a lion's den, but the same God who delivered Daniel promises to deliver us. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, the story, and I'm sure you know how it ends, is a happy one. It is not only a story of deliverance. It is a story of deliverance on a grand, enthusiastic, and happy scale. Daniel is delivered from the lion's den. Well, the story of Daniel in the lion's den has been touching millions upon millions upon millions of little children since the very beginning in Sunday school. I can still remember... When I was in the first grade, my first grade Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Nance, carefully placing those felt pieces on the flannel graph and making the sounds like a lion, roaring like a lion, there in our little classroom. The story of Daniel and the lion's den is as much for us today as it was for us when we were children and as it was for Daniel himself. This story is a story about a man of faithfulness, a man of God, and his delivering Daniel from the lion's den. I looked at pictures of lions this past week because when I think of lions, I think of this right here, a lion at the zoo. Uh, I grew up outside of Tampa, Florida and Bush Gardens is in Tampa. Many, many times I've gone to Bush Gardens and I've seen lions in confined habitats and most of the time they're kind of lounging around. They look kind of lazy. Very rarely we ever see a lion really go after something when it's in captivity Uh, I came across this picture. This is a cute picture, a little uh, big daddy lion and his cub. When I was a child, in fact, I'm sure a lot of kids feel this way, I wanted a lion. I wanted a lion. I wanted a lion and a chimpanzee. And I could not understand why my parents wouldn't get me one. In fact, we didn't speak for about maybe four years, second grade to sixth grade, because they wouldn't buy me a lion and they wouldn't buy me a chimpanzee. Uh, When you think of a lion, you probably think of the circus. This is a picture of a lion tamer in a cage and those lions are growling and this poor, demented, crazy man who's seeking attention, I guess, gets in that cage with them. If you go with John Cook on one of our Kenya mission trips, you can take a picture of a lion yourself. There's a picture that John took two or three years ago in Kenya while riding in the Jeep on the way to the mission site. That's pretty amazing to me. Lions in the wild are absolutely Beautiful. But make no mistake, as this next picture demonstrates, these are ferocious animals. These are man-eaters. These are bloodthirsty killers. Um, There's one more photograph I want to show you, and this kind of blew me away. Check this out. A little kid is at the zoo in front of a glassed-in enclosure. The lion spots his prey. The middle picture represents that lion charging toward that little baby. And then you can see the smear marks against the glass If that glass wasn't there, I can't imagine what would have happened to that little kid. Now, I searched for videos to show you exactly what kind of killers these beasts are. But i got to be honest with you. I showed one of them to Amy and she said, You can't show that in church. (laughs) I mean, they're bloody. They're ferocious. These are man-eating beasts. These are creatures with killer instincts. They're not warm and cuddly like your cat. So since I couldn't show you a ferocious video of a lion I decided to read you a letter about a cat now some of you people are cat people I don't understand you but I love you Jesus loves you too I came across this, and I think it's pretty helpful. Uh, since I can't show a gruesome video, let me show you something that might be just as useful. It says, Dear cat owner, the following are instructions as to the best way to bathe your cat. I didn't even know you bathed cats. Instructions. Here we go. Number one, thoroughly clean the toilet. Number two, add shampoo to the toilet water and lift both lids. Number three, soothe your cat while you carry him toward the bathroom. Number four, this is very important, so listen. In one smooth movement, put the cat in the toilet and close both lids. (laughs) Now, there's a word of caution here. It says, you may need to stand on the lid so that the cat cannot escape and don't get any part of your body too close to the edge as the cat's paws will be reaching out to grab anything they can find But then here's why you do this. The cat will self-agitate, making ample suds. Never mind all the noises coming from your toilet. The cat is actually enjoying this. Here's number five. Flush the toilet three or four times. This provides the power wash and rinse that's so effective. Number six. Have someone in the family open the door to the outside to ensure there are no people between the toilet and the outside door. Number seven. Stand behind the toilet as far as you can and quickly lift both lids. And then number eight, the now clean cat will rocket out of the toilet, run outside where he will air dry himself naturally. And then it signs, sincerely, the dog. That's great, ain't it? Last time we noted from the beginnings of chapter six that Daniel was a great man of character. A great man of character, as evidenced by his integrity and his competence. Daniel was an implant from Jewish heritage into Babylon, and yet he still managed to climb through the ranks of government because Daniel was a man of great character. Last time we were together, I challenged you about your character. I challenged you to pursue both integrity and competence. If you've got your Bible open, the end of verse 4 reads as follows. Daniel was trustworthy, and he was neither corrupt nor negligent. The opposite of corruption is integrity. The opposite of negligence is competence. Daniel's character was demonstrated by his integrity and his competence. Now, think about this. Because many of you were surprised to find out how old Daniel is by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6. I asked my wife when I've been putting these messages together, how old do you think Daniel was when he was thrown into the lion's den? And she said, I don't know, 30s maybe, 40s? Daniel in chapter 6 is 85 years old. Daniel in chapter 6 is older than my father. Daniel has spent his lifetime, not a few seasons, not a few years... Not the, quote, best part of his life, but his entire life in exile in Babylon. Remember, we learned from chapter 1, Daniel was just a teenager when he was placed into Babylonian culture. So for 70 years, Daniel has grown up as an exile in Babylon. He has been a light in the darkness of his own exile. I say it that way because that's important. God has called every one of us as followers of Christ to be a light in this world, And even though we too are between kingdoms, we're exiled, if you will. We can still light our homes and light our communities and light our world. In chapter 6 and verse 5, these men come to an understanding of how they're going to get Daniel. Daniel's integrity, Daniel's lack of corruption, Daniel's competence made some enemies among his peers. Verse 5 reads, Finally these men said... We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the laws of his God. Daniel's faith and his character was well known among his circle of peers. I begs the question, is mine, is yours? Remember, Daniel's faith didn't move the entire nation. It didn't change the kingdom. But the people in Daniel's circle of influence knew the kind of man Daniel was. These people around Daniel, people he worked with, people he lived with, people he rubbed shoulders with, people he socialized with, these men, these people knew the kind of man Daniel was. A great man of faithfulness, a man willing to stand alone for his principles, a man of character. Question, do the people in your circle of influence know the kind of person you really are. So they come to this idea, the only way we're going to trap this guy, the only way we're going to get rid of this guy, is to trap him using some part of his faith against him. So the 122 satraps, this 122 government cabinet members, those co-workers and peers of Daniel, they devise a plan. Verses 6 through 9 tell us that These guys go to King Darius and they say, Oh, king, you're the best king in the world. We think you ought to make a 30-day proclamation that for 30 days, one month, no one worships or prays to any god other than you. Well, the king is lapping this stuff up. He loves the sound of that. The king is suffering from delusions of grandeur like many kings of that day, I'm sure. So he signs it into law, a law that is irrevocable, a law that cannot be called back. All the prayer, all the worship for one month is to be addressed to the king in recognition of his power in the religious realm. And if you break the law, the penalty is death. You're thrown into the lion's den. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed. Now, I told you a minute ago, this is an 85-year-old man. And it is his regular routine to get down on his knees three times a day and pray. Wow. That's convicting. This is an 85-year-old man who had only a few options. Pray, but pretend not to. Pray silently to yourself tell the king you're not praying for at least 30 days or don't pray at all or he could do what he had done for 70 years in exile three times a day he could get down on his knees and he could pray watch what he pray watch how he prays giving thanks to his god just as he had done before verse 11 then these men went up as a group and they found daniel praying asking god for help so in verses 10 and 11 we have the formula to daniel's prayer life it's a very simple plan. It's something any of us could do. You could leave here today, and by tomorrow, you could be good at it. The end of verse 10 tells us when Daniel prayed, he gave thanks. So that's thanksgiving. Verse 11 tells us that when Daniel prayed, he was asking God for help. That's petition. Thanksgiving and petition. Two ingredients to the prayer life of a man like Daniel. I wonder how your life might change. In fact, I challenge anyone, anyone to watch how your life will change if several times a day you stop what you're doing, offer thanks to God, and ask for His guidance, ask for His comfort, ask for His hope, ask for His help, ask for His leading, thanksgiving, and petition. That was as simple as Daniel's prayers were. And that kind of prayer life produced this great man of character that we've built this series around. Keep reading. Verse 12. Matter of fact, we'll skip verse 12, because in verse 12 and 13, what happens next is, once they catch him, they run back to King Darius, and they say, hey, King, you remember that decree you signed for 30 days, yada, yada, yada. King says, oh yes, I remember, I signed it, and it is irrevocable. (laughs) They say, guess who we caught praying to a god besides the king? Daniel. Now, look at verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. I find that interesting. Do you realize that every king in the book of Daniel has been greatly distressed? Nebuchadnezzar was greatly distressed. His son Belshazzar was greatly distressed. Now the Medo-Persian king, Darius, is distressed. We shouldn't be surprised. Self-absorbed people are often distressed. Do you know any people like that? I know you're not a person like that, but... Self-absorbed people can always find something to complain about. Self-absorbed people can always find something that's unfair. Self-absorbed people can always find something that they don't deserve. This king is greatly distressed. Maybe when he signed that declaration, he was so taken by the implications of what this meant. I'm going to be the object of worship in the entire kingdom for 30 days that he neglected to put two and two together. Look, Daniel's contemporaries knew where to find him three times a day. They knew he prayed. I'm willing to bet you Darius knew where to find him. But he completely forgot about that. So self-absorbed in his own delusions of grandeur. Keep reading. He, being Darius, was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius. They said to him, wait a minute, remember your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So, verse 16, the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now, don't let that last statement from the king make you think that the king has come around. He hadn't come around yet. I think that's more like, Daniel, God help you. Uh, Daniel, uh, good luck with all of this. Okay, That's what that is. Darius hasn't come around, and yet the text reveals that all night long Darius couldn't sleep. God was dealing with Darius. In fact, we'll see in a moment, at first light, Darius is at that den of lions, wants to see what happened. But before we get into the happy ending, all of you know how this story ends. I want us to consider some principles that might set our lives up for a happy ending. I want to be a kind of person, using Daniel's life, Daniel's story, and I hope you want to be the kind of person who sets yourself up similarly as we might know what to expect when we face a lion's den of our own. And we all will. I uh, start my messages when I study with a Bible and a notepad. Not an iPad, of yellow notepad. And I read the passage, and I just write thoughts. And I read the passage again, and I kind of take notes. I wrote several when I started. Before I ever get to the computer, before I ever get to the books, it's my own thoughts coming from Scripture. That's the way I was taught to engage Scripture. I would encourage any of you to engage Scripture that way. I wrote down several things, but four of them leapt from the page and became personal to me. I've heard the story of Daniel and the lion's dead, like I said, all my life. And it's very easy to tell the story. It's very easy to name the characters. But what I want to do and what I want you to do today is I want you to put the pieces together because you're no different from Daniel. You can be a man or woman of integrity. You can be a man or woman or of competence. You can be a man or woman of great character. You can be a faithful servant of God that is delivered from your lion's den just like Daniel. Here's the first statement. If you are serious, Expect persecution. There's number one. If you are serious about your faith, if you are serious about your God, if you are serious about Christ, if you are serious about your relationship with Him, then expect persecution. These men, the men of chapter 6, those 122 administrators, peers of Daniel's, worked with him in government, they hated Daniel. Now, maybe they hated him because he had been out. He had been promoted beyond them. Maybe they hated him because he was of Jewish heritage. Maybe that played a factor, but make no mistake. These men hated Daniel because of Daniel's pursuit of righteousness. The New Testament backs this up. In fact, these men used their power, used their position to not only steal from the king, but to take advantage of those of whom they were in authority. In other words, they had power over thousands upon thousands. And they used that power to their advantage. At the same time, they were stealing from the king. Daniel was not. So the, the gig is up, as they say. If Daniel blew the whistle, all of them would have come tumbling down. That's why I think the Bible teaches that Daniel was about to be promoted above all of them. Because maybe the king knew how crooked and corrupt these leaders were. But the Bible says clearly, if you are serious about your faith, if you pursue godliness, if you pursue righteousness in your home, in your marriage, in the workplace, you are going to be persecuted for it. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul says to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 33, I've told you all these things so that you so that in me you might have peace. For in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, what kind of persecution do we really know in the United States of America? I know that you know, and you know that I know, that in other parts of the world, you can be disciplined by the government for your faith. You can be imprisoned because of your faith. You can be beaten Ostracized, your children can be taken from you because of your faith. But we would never expect to see anything like that in the United States of America. I'm not so sure that we're not seeing the beginnings of it right now. But set that aside completely. The book of Job teaches that persecution is the twin sister to suffering. And we all know suffering. We all know illness. We all know loss. We all know failure to the point that it costs us something dear. We all know setback. We all know suffering. Job suffered, not because of his faith, at least from his peers, but because of his faith in light of the enemy. The book of Job teaches that the enemy, the prince and the power of this heir, is after you if you're serious. Job was serious. Daniel was serious. I'm serious. You're serious. And if you are serious, the enemy's coming after you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Peter says, be self-controlled. Be very alert. You have an enemy. He's like a roaring lion. And he's prowling about seeking someone to devour. I pray, I pray that if we ever suffer any kind of persecution like Daniel and his three Hebrew friends suffered, that God would give us the grace to respond the way that Daniel did to his glory. Because if you are serious, expect persecution. Here's number two. If you are prayerful, expect blessing. If you are prayerful, expect blessing. Uh, Daniel had this lifelong pattern, this lifelong routine of praying three times a day at his windows that were open toward his homeland. And I wonder how many of us could claim to be as faithful in our prayer life as Daniel was. Again, that's that's kind of like a rebuke. That's challenging to me. And then I ask myself, what is the missing ingredient between a powerfully consistent prayer life like Daniel's and mine. What separates the two? One big thing bubbles to the surface in my mind. Daniel depended on God for everything. Daniel was in a tight spot since the time he was in his teens. For 70 years, Daniel was an exile. He depended on God for everything, and we don't. Because we don't have to. I can depend on my job. I can depend on people around me, I can depend on family, I can depend on money, I can depend on retirement, I can depend on my health, I can depend on a doctor, I can depend on health insurance. Think about it this way. Every night we go to bed. Why? Because our body tells us we're tired. You're tired, go to bed. So we do. We listen to our body and we go to bed. When we wake up in the morning, we get something to eat. Why? Because our body tells us we're hungry, right? My body never tells me to depend on God until I hit hard times. My body never tells me to trust, to hold on, to be faithful until I hit hard times. And then what happens? I hit hard times. That's when I pray. And as I pray, there's this little voice in my back of my brain saying, You're not doing it right. In fact, you don't really even know how to do it, because you don't normally do it. And now that you've hit hard times, you're trying to do it a lot. You think God's buying that? You ever experienced this? See, some people think, some people think, that when moments of crisis or moments of difficulty, there's something in us that wells up from within to solve all of our problems. Not in Daniel's story. Daniel's prayer gave him the blessing. You see, I'm challenging you today. If you'll establish a regular prayer time today, it's going to prepare you for the darkness that's coming tomorrow. That's what we learn from Daniel's story. He was prayerful, therefore he was blessed. Here's number three. If you are disciplined, you can expect peace. If you are disciplined, no matter the circumstance, if you are disciplined, no matter the trial or difficulty... You can know peace. You can expect peace. Daniel had peace. You notice the king was distressed, but Daniel wasn't. The king had everything. Daniel had nothing. The king is distressed and Daniel isn't. That's because Daniel was disciplined. He expected peace. You ever heard of the uh, tyranny of the urgent? You ever heard? That's a little piece of literature. The tyranny of the urgent. Um... The idea is that there are many things that come our way every day of our lives that we call or assume are urgent. And if we're not careful, what we presume to be urgent will keep us from what's important. You see, there's a difference in your life between what is urgent and what is important. There's a greater difference in your life between what you perceive to be urgent and what truly is important. If we're not careful, we will live our lives Managing the urgent, responding to the urgent, and completely overlook what's important. Daniel didn't do that. Daniel clearly distinguished between what could be perceived as a crisis and what really was a matter of importance. Do you know what Hollywood teaches me every time I watch a cool action movie? Hollywood teaches us that we can live our lives any way we want to live them. We can live our lives for self completely and totally. 100% lock, stock and barrel, self-sovereign. But when we hit hard times, there's going to be something in our psyche that kind of stands up, kind of wells up and gives us the power, the strength to overcome whatever enemy or foe we're facing. That's not true. That's not reality. Now, there may be a little truth to that. Maybe when we're in a tight spot, there is something in us that kind of kind of pushes us through. But let me tell you what the story of Daniel teaches. I suggest that times of crisis, times of persecution, times of suffering, are those times when great men and women continually persist in the good things that they've practiced all along, when it was just easier to do it. See, Daniel didn't start praying in Daniel chapter 6 when he got thrown to the lion's. Daniel was praying in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel didn't start caring what God thought about him as a man, his character, his intention in chapter 6. He cared as a teenager in chapter 1. That's number 3. Number 4. If you are faithful, here's the good part, you can expect deliverance. If you're faithful, you can expect deliverance. Deliverance. The account of Daniel's deliverance was written and secured, protected throughout the centuries to assure saints, believers of every age that God is able to deliver his people, even when men are unable to do so. We read a moment ago, King Darius wished he could have saved Daniel, but he couldn't. The account we have that's 2,500 years old, the life of Daniel, is placed in your Bible, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, whereby someone in today's world, with today's problems, today's issues, can be just as confident in the God of Daniel as Daniel was. If God delivered Daniel, God can deliver you. Now, here's the kicker. That God will deliver, we can count on. How and when and what that looks like, we're not so certain. You understand the difference, right? Because there are plenty of examples in the scripture where God did not shield the righteous from persecution. He did not shield the righteous from suffering. In fact, God didn't deliver them in life. He delivered them in death. Let me tell you what that looks like. We've probably all had that relative, parent, a grandparent, someone we love. They got sick. And we went to a doctor. And we got a second opinion, and we took the medication, and we endured the procedure, and nothing worked. Their body was giving way. And there came a point in that frustration, in that darkness, in that gloom, in that sorrow, where something changed. And we thought, you know what the best thing would be? The best thing would be to end the suffering. The best thing would be for my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, my brother. The best thing would be for them to go to be with Jesus. Have you ever turned that corner? I've turned it before with a loved one. My wife turned it before with her parents six years ago. That's deliverance as far as the Bible is concerned. Again, reading from Timothy, the Apostle Paul to his protege Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 16, 2 Timothy, Paul writes, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me. Let me ask you something. If God will deliver Daniel, and if God will deliver Paul, why won't he deliver you? He will if you're faithful. Because the same God that delivered Daniel will deliver you. You know how the story ends, but let's read it together nonetheless. Darius throws Daniel in the lion's den. They seal up the, 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 the den. He can't sleep all night long. The next morning he runs down there and he says, Daniel, are you alive? Look at verse 21. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Do you know what we call Daniel in the Bible study world? Daniel is an Old Testament type of Christ. T-Y-P-E, type of Christ. That means that Daniel is an Old Testament foreshadowing, an Old Testament image, an Old Testament snapshot, an Old Testament illustration of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you recognize this, but there are a lot of stories or similarities between the two, Daniel and Jesus. You realize the same thing that made Daniel's peers envious of Daniel made the Pharisees envious of Jesus. Daniel's peers resented his righteousness in his authority because they had the authority and they were unrighteous. They used it to their own advantage. Same was true in the New Testament days of the Pharisees. There was a stone rolled over the den. It was sealed with the ring of the king. In the New Testament, there's a stone rolled over the tomb and it's sealed by the Roman government. The law in Daniel's day was irrevocable. The king had already signed it. It could not be changed. God, according to the New Testament, has a law. It cannot be broken. He is holy, and we are not. Because we are unholy, we're going to break that law. We're going to receive the same death sentence that Daniel received. What are we going to do? Enter Jesus, the great Deliverer. So I end by reminding you that if you are serious about your faith, you can expect to be persecuted. You can at least expect to suffer for it because you have an enemy. And if, however, you're prayerful, you can expect blessing. If you take it up a notch and you're disciplined, you can know peace in times of difficulty. And if you are faithful... You can always expect deliverance. If you've never received God's gift of salvation, you've never responded to what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, I wish you would today. We don't always give invitations. I'm not going to give one today. But use that communication card, and I want your phone number. I would love to have a conversation with you about faith in Christ. If, on the other hand, you are a follower of Christ, but as I've talked about these things, you've thought, gee, I'm really not serious. Uh, Gee, I'm really not prayerful. I'm really not disciplined. And I, I, I'm really not faithful. You need to be. And you need to set your mind on these things because the lion's den is coming. It's coming for all of us. And God has promised to deliver you in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such an outrageous story of not only your love, your promise, but your deliverance. Father, I want to be a man of character like Daniel. I want to stand alone if necessary. I want to be faithful. So, Father, help me parse and purge my life of the self-perceived urgent and focus on what is truly important. Father, I I want to be serious. I, I want to be prayerful. I want to be disciplined, and I want to be faithful. Help me. Help us, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. Hope you make it a fantastic Sunday. Merry Christmas. I'll see you next Sunday in your ugly Christmas sweater.